Welcome back to Blister Cinematic on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Well, yesterday was Martin Luther King Day, and fittingly, it was also the day in which Connor Ryan dropped episode number one of his new series, The New Radical. And equally fittingly, episode number one is called What is Radical? And the episode then goes on to answer that question in a very compact, very tight eight-minute episode that you should absolutely watch before listening to my conversation with Connor that I recorded yesterday afternoon. You can find episode number one over on Connor's YouTube channel. That is under the handle Sacred Stoke, which is also Connor's Instagram handle. And you would be wise to both follow Connor on social media and also subscribe to his YouTube channel so that you get notified immediately when new episodes of The New Radical drop. Now, if you have listened to any of my previous Blister Podcast conversations with Connor, you already know that this man has a profound way with words. And if you have seen his film, uh, The Spirit of the Peaks, well, then you will also know that he knows his way behind a camera and also in front of it. But this time around, I was truly blown away at how much he packed and how well he did it in a very succinct eight-minute first episode. And I've said this before, Connor, I think, has one of the most important voices in the entire snow sports world today, and his vision and his willingness to continue to challenge us in new ways, well, it continues to impress me deeply. So it was really cool to catch up again with Connor on Martin Luther King Day, on the day that he dropped episode number one of The New Radical. And now I get to share that conversation with you. And so again, this time around, I would encourage you to first watch the film. We'll include a link to it in the show notes of this episode. And then please enjoy this conversation. All right, here we go. Well, Connor... First of all, happy Martin Luther King Day to you. Um, how are you today and where are you today? I'm doing great. It's a, it's a good day to be radical. Um, <laughs> and I am up yeah. in Revelstoke in BC today. And it, it's beautiful. It's frigid, like absolutely frigid, but it's beautiful. Okay. Um, you know, back here in Colorado, we're getting a lot of snow around here. I haven't even checked any forecasts around like what's happening in in Canada at the moment. Are 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 we in good standing up there? Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit sad today. I saw we got like thirty inches at Winter Park, and the pass was closed. And like they've improved the pass lately; it doesn't close as much as it used to. And that's kind of like the perfect day when you're trapped in Winter Park and no one else can get up to you, and all that powders to yourself. So. A little bummed to be missing that, but uh, <laughs> that that storm was just here, 
Um, mm, and so gotcha. Revel Stoke is reloaded, and then we've got refreshes coming throughout the week. So uh, I'll take it. You know, uh, a little less snow, but but a lot more stability on the Avalanche forecast, which is kind of what keeps me traveling in in January and February. Uh huh. Well, hey man, the order of the day. Um, you dropped today on MLK Day a new series called The New Radical. Tell us about it. Yeah, for me, The New Radical is kind of about exploring that word itself, right? And it's something we hear maybe way too much in skiing um, <laughs> and, and something we hear a lot, I think, on the news as well or like in a political ad or, you know, in, in the New York Times or whatever it might be. And for me, uh, coming from my background as a Native American, as an activist, uh, I feel like I'm caught between those two definitions where I'm mm -hmm. told I want to be in ra uh, radical in one aspect of my life. And mm -hmm. in another aspect of my life, I'm being told that I'm too radical. And so this is really about finding the space between the two and figuring out how in our sport of skiing, uh, we can we can merge those definitions a little bit because I think uh, the definition of what's radical in our sport hasn't changed much uh, since I was, you know, watching the X Games as a little kid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe they add another half a rotation each year to the same tricks. Um, but once upon a time, just doing a trick at all, just going into the backcountry at all, was something that was mind blowing to be doing on skis. And and back then, that's what was really radical. You know, like it yeah. meant a, a revolution, a change yeah. within the sport to, to bring these things, to take it out of bounds, to climb a mountain yourself instead of riding up the chairlift. Um, and on the flip side, you know, like my, my family's from the Standing Rock Reservation, right? And so we were told we were too radical when the mm -hmm. people wanted to stop the pipeline from going through yeah. our water supply. Um, and when people put their bodies on the line to take those risks, when people went out in the streets to to march uh, during the Black Lives Matter movement, we were told that these people, what they're demanding uh, is too radical. Right. We need to be mm -hmm. we need to be scared of that. And so for me, I, I really just wanted to figure out, like, where do I fit between these definitions and where do our communities fit? Because more than ever, our communities are seeing uh, a, a need for change, right? Like, uh, uh, this story just broke the other day, uh, in Carbondale of uh, there were 80, uh, migrant workers living underneath a bridge in a camp mm -hmm. because they thought that they would find work in Aspen. And this was a story that I believe was in the New York Times or the Washington Post. Um, and so, you know, we've got housing crisis. We've got, uh, incredible difficulty to find, you know, food, uh, if that's, fresh and organic and healthy and good for us uh, in mountain towns. And so I think that there's there's a need coming from a lot of angles to figure out, you know, maybe there's something bigger that, that our communities need within skiing uh, than just another half a turn on a, on a trick. As always, man, really well said. And it is kind of ironic. And the more you talk about this, not just ironic, but perhaps sad, that our outdoor sports culture, we use these terms probably more than anybody else, right? Man, that was rad. Let's go get rad. And we'll sometimes say that kind of jokingly or something. What does every single athlete ever talk about? Like, 
I'm just about the progression. I want to progress the sport. We use all of these terms, and yet kind of the antithesis of radicality is just staying the same. Absolutely. And and it's kind of powerful. I mean, what you just said and what episode one in The New Radical, it just lays that out so just just plainly, just clearly, <laughs> you know? And I, I found myself thinking a lot about the kind of inherent conservatism in, in the ski industry. And I think given the roots of, say, snowboarding, where there was a bit more of an anti-establishment thing, I think maybe even in skateboarding, there has been a bit more of an anti-authoritarian thing. But I think it is really, really valuable with, I mean, frankly, what you've been up to for the last several years, but really crystallized in this really tight eight-minute first episode is, hey, folks, this is just an invitation for all of us to stop and rethink what we're doing here and how we can get so comfortable with some of these terms and run away from these terms when it comes to just outside of the extremely narrow borders of our little ski culture. Yeah. Does that, does that seem right to you? Oh, absolutely. Like when I think about a ski community, like what percentage of the people in the ski community are, are affected, you know, by if we are going to be able to bring our rent down by 20% versus if we're going to be able to jump off a cliff that's 20% higher. Right. But what is all of our media focused on? It's not focused on the stories that we are collectively living. And for me, I think like there's a way we've all gotten complacent in that. Um, and I, I won't get too specific with the names, but I was talking last year with one of the founders of one of the big movie companies within skiing. And we were talking about Alaska and heli skiing. And our conversation kind of got into this thing of where he was like, well, I don't like sending athletes to Alaska to heli ski because it's so expensive for me and it's really hit or miss. And these guys know their own terrain where they're at much better. They could probably ski better at home. Um, but at the same time, the athletes are demanding that they go to Alaska because they think uh, that's what their fans want and that's what the brands want. And then you talk to the people from the brands and they're like, well, we don't want to have to pay for our athlete to go all the way to Alaska. And then we got to answer for our carbon footprint and all these things. And then I talk to other pro skiers on the day to day and they're like, man, what I'm really trying to do is spend more time at home and go ski that peak. I've been able to see every time I go out and tour, but I don't have the time and the resources to line it up in the right conditions. Um, and those conversations just kind of made me realize like maybe we haven't all come to the table to talk about what our priorities actually are and have that revolution within our own sport of being like, hey, we've been repeating the same thing over and over because we think the other, whoever the other in air quotes is, wants that from us. But in reality, the other also wants us to change. And so I think this is, this is about, you know, recalibrating uh, where we're headed as a sport. This is about recalibrating where we're headed as a sport. That's big. I mean, that's a big mission. It's a great mission. It's one I love. How are you feeling about that mission right now, right? Again, you've been 
getting kind of pushing further and further into this world, seeing more and more, having more and more conversations. Are you feeling optimistic about this? Does it matter if you're feeling optimistic? I mean, you know, like give us a sense of where you think we actually are. Are you seeing in the conversations you have, or maybe not just conversations, but what you're actually seeing out there, who you're actually seeing out there, do you think that there is movement being made? You know, I think this situation is much like our like national and global political situation is, where it's like, I think like on the large scale, it's really easy to think that things are getting worse. Um, hmm. And on the personal scale, it's really easy to have the momentum of being like, wow, things are getting better every day. And those are the kind of two hmm. currents within the stream that I often find myself caught between. And if you ask me on any given day, like where I'm really present with it, mm -hmm. like I might feel totally different based on what happened that day. Just like, um, you know, if you were to ask a climate scientist, like, how do you feel about X issue? And their research is really promising and gives them a lot of hope. But then they can open up the news and be like, wow, we just hit 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming. Like that's a measurable thing. That's and that's a benchmark that we've known was bad for a long time and hoped we'd never hit. And I feel like the industry is the same way where it's like I can talk with people and we can all collectively be like, oh, this is what we need in our community. We need this co-op style of, you know operating our our local power grid and we want to switch it to solar and you know we need these housing opportunities that look this way and and then at the same time like you can be having that conversation and there's less affordable housing available every day or like for us in winter park i bring that one up because we just lost the election that would have allowed us to switch our power grid over to uh sustainable energy in winter park and Protect Our Winners fought really hard alongside us to try to get this. And then in the election, the voters don't vote because it's not a it's not an actual city election or a government election. It's within the power company. So the homeowners vote. So there can be six of us who are living in one house, right? Renting it out. Uh, that's how I live, right? Yeah. And none of us six people get a vote. But our one homeowner, right, who owns our house, who lives in Denver or in Dallas or in Los Angeles and just makes their money by renting a house to all these people who make a ski town function, their one vote can be like, no, that sounds like something I'm not interested in. That might raise my rates on power. I'm saying no to sustainable energy, right? And so, like, that's kind of the same dichotomy that I feel within the sport where it's like when I talk to other athletes, when I talk to skiers on the day to day, like the real pulse of the core of the sport is like, we need these things. This is what we're concerned about. But if we're being listened to by the sport more broadly, I don't know if that happens. And, and a lot of times it happens at the very top. Like, you know, you look at like the brands that we work for and it's like, Every individual I know might totally agree with me and what I want to do. And it doesn't matter at the end of the day if the shareholders decide they're going to cut the budget, right? <laughs> and so I, I think that's, that's the power struggle that we find ourselves in is everyone who lives in a town can want affordable housing. But in the United States where BlackRock 
a private equity company bought 40% of the single family homes in the country last year. It doesn't really matter what homeowners want. And so I think the more that we focus on how common our collective narrative is, whether that's between skiers and snowboarders, or that's between Democrats and Republicans, or that's between the left and the right, whatever, the more we go, wait, we have the same problem. We agree on this. We need movement in this direction. We may not agree on how the final product of this all looks, but we know this isn't right and we don't want it to look more like community. We want it to be a greater reflection of all of us. That's real progress. Um, and, and to me, I think that starts with having a, a collective story that we agree on of like, yeah, this is our basis. This is where we come from and this is, this is where we're headed. And, and so that's what we hope to do with the new radical is lay out like, this is the commonality of our past and this is our desires for the future. And I certainly, as an individual, as a filmmaker, like I don't have all the answers, but I, I want to pose some questions and talk to some people who probably do have those answers. I love this that, again, thinking about, you know, I, I just keep finding my head go to kind of our ski and snowboard culture. We can throw in, you know, mountain bike culture. Uh, we don't talk as much uh, at Blister about skateboarding but but these kind of i guess this would all get lumped into kind of the action sports label reclaiming this idea that those of us and that's basically everybody listening to this podcast right now in the scheme of things we are all out there doing relatively high risk things right relatively sometimes extremely high risk things. That's part of what we do because we love these sports. We love those feelings, those sensations. We love doing that stuff with our friends. But this idea that like we should kind of be the same people that are willing to go get into some of those uncomfortable situations perhaps to 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 be pushing things, to to be, you know, expanding pushing into the new, the novel. And I think it is really easy. It's like, if you're used to dealing on the day-to-day -day and the stuff you're most passionate about with these high levels of risk, it just feels like we have an easier slide over to push for some other things where we can make a difference and some things that aren't great, you know, uh, wholly accepted at the moment. And I think you have really more than maybe anybody that I know in the broader snow sports world in the last several years, done such a good job of holding us to this, kind of forcing us to see this. I hope the word is forcing. I mean that as that's I mean that as a compliment, you know? And by the way, the other thing I'll say, I'm not sure that I agree with 100% of the things you say. I don't know. Maybe it's 92%, maybe it's 99%. I don't know. But I'm sure as hell happy that you are out there just pushing in a way. It's not just about, hey, check out my new edit. I got a, you know, half an extra turn in the trick. That is a, a thing I feel at the core of our sport is like we have lost some of that, that nature, that, that angst that used to be more present in the sport and was kind of inherent with those mm. of us who are like risk takers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I remember growing up and watching Warren Miller when like Glenn Plake was still in it 
Um, yeah. And you were like, look at this guy with the mohawk. Yeah. Like, he's a yeah. skier. He's not anything else within society. Like, this guy's crazy, right? I think McConkie had that. I think Claire yeah. had that. And then you look at people who took it a step further as far as like mountaineering goes. You look at like the the Hillary Nelsons of the world to be like, okay, I'm setting aside so much of life to spend a great amount of time on an expedition to be able to do this thing. There's some amount of like sacrifice involved with these decisions that bring us this personal joy. And like, that is part of the risk you take every day when you go skiing is like you risk your own life a little bit just to taste something so sweet that makes life worth living. And I think within uh, American culture, we're really good at doing that uh, as individuals, but we're not so great at doing that collectively. And then I think our sport has lost some of that radical edge as they took that that feeling of what it is to pursue all this and they bottled it up and they marketed it back to us. And then we bought something that used to be a sort of freedom you couldn't even buy. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what gets sold to us. And it's I don't say that in a, a way that should make anybody else who's involved in that feel bad. Like I also sell that back to people for for a living. But I think sometimes when you sell something, you've got to look at a layer deeper and be like, wait, why is it that people need this? And so I think when we look at this broader collective level, um, we don't have a good patterning uh, in our culture right now of understanding like how much sweeter it is when you provide that feeling of life collectively. Because we don't have opportunities to do it. We're not that deeply in community. Um, and, and I think one of the closest things we get to it is that opportunity that uh, to share a pow day with someone, to share a backcountry experience with someone, to ski a mountain you couldn't have skied on your own. It took four or five of us to do this and get up there and you add another factor and another person in if you take photos of it or you make a film about it. Like All of a sudden, it becomes this collective thing of like, wow. We got to share something. We unlocked a part of ourselves, of our human experience that we couldn't have just had on our own. And I think that's a really powerful thing to get to, but we don't know how to apply that at the levels of hundreds of people, of thousands of people, of millions of people. Um, but how sweet would that be if we figured out how to, how to execute that? And I think executing it starts with practicing it. And so for me, that's really the goal uh, when it comes to talking about like, what is it that we're really doing? What really is this, this progression? And can we learn to sacrifice? Okay, can you, you know, the way you might risk your life a little bit to get a powder day, people risk their freedom during the Black Lives Matter movement, during Standing Rock, right? People are taking these risks so that we can get something collectively. Or maybe so that someone else can have something uh, that we have that they don't. Uh-huh. And that's an incredible feeling. Like, how great would we feel if at the end of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, we ended up with a result that's like, oh, people don't get racially pro- profiled by the police and shot. And we have a healthy relationship between our communities and those who keep us safe. 
Like what a rewarding feeling would that be? But we don't really know collectively yet how to get to those those payoffs on a, on a national or on a global scale. But we're starting to see how to make those payoffs happen locally. Um, and, and one thing that I've seen, like just in the town where I live in the last year, there's been this 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 effects of the death of Airbnb kind of happening. There's been this huge downfall uh, of Airbnb. And there's Airbnbs across the street from me. And I used to watch them be turned over every day, three times a week, every week, whatever. And now I'm like, man, that Airbnb across the street, like it's pretty slow going over there. And I think like that's a pretty sweet thing to see um, where you're like, okay, like this. And I had a conversation with with a woman uh, at the rec center one day and she talked to me about how she's thinking about turning her Airbnb just into a place that she rents to locals because it's too much hassle to do the Airbnb thing anymore. The cleaners want too much money. There's not enough people booking them. It's just too much of a hassle of Airbnb. I think I'm going to go back to long-term rental. So, and then there's other towns that have bound, uh, that have banned Airbnb entirely, right? And you see housing return to locals. You see rent come down to some degree. And so I think like if we learn how to keep connecting those progresses, like how good does it feel when your friend who comes from a bit different background than you doesn't have the same financial privilege or connection to skiing that you do, that they can move to a ski town? and fall in love with skiing and you get to watch them have that experience of falling in love with the backcountry. Like you can only do that once for yourself, but you can share it with other people an unlimited amount of times. And, and so I think like that's the sort of success we've got to learn to celebrate and, and enjoy more than the personal success and the personal victory that's marketed to us because it's easy to buy it over and over again, but it's much harder to create it on this global scale, on this local scale, uh, but it's much sweeter, I think. Well said. Talk to me a bit more specifically about episode number one. Uh, it dropped again. I said at the top, people should have watched this short episode before we started talking, but um, did it end up coming off exactly the way you imagined? Did it evolve as you were filming it, editing it, and the rest? Just tell us what your experience was with the first episode. Yeah, uh, my experience with it was like my experience in most of filmmaking, where I think I'm going to fit like all these ideas into a short <laughs> amount of time. So like what's in my first episode now is probably like uh, a lot less skiing than I thought would be which is great, which means it remains for the next few episodes that we have in the series. And like, and I thought we were going to cover a lot more topics. There's other interviews that we filmed that didn't quite make it in there. And I thought I would need more interviews with the guys uh, that we took out. And we went skiing with Bird Red, who uh, appears in my film, Spirit of the Peaks. He was just learning yeah. to ski in that film. In this film, he is out there. Uh, he's pow surfing that day, uh, which was an uh, incredible choice for him. But now he leads uh, youth from the local rec center on the Ute reservation. He leads them out on the Ute ski day that they have at Telluride each year. So he's he's a skier now. <laughs> and so and we went out with Cyrus Naranjo and uh, Napeshni kills enemy. And it, it was just this experience of realizing like this one little day 
that we had together was kind of enough to convey this much larger message, which for me, I think was a really sweet thing. It really wasn't until I got some feedback from Cody Townsend, who's the executive producer on the project, that we toned back the episode as far as like length. Mm. And he was like, mm. this is the best backcountry booter sesh I've kind of ever seen. And I was like, wait, <laughs> like he just yeah. clears the jump and does a sweet grab. It's not like he through a trick the world has never seen before. And, and that was kind of like a spark moment for me of realizing like, wait, that's the magic. Like if you can encapsulate the entirety of one piece of progression, it's not mm -hmm. actually whether that progression is from like the second coolest trick to the most cool trick ever. Yeah. The progression is the progression. And people want to see progression uh, at any level because of how it feels, right? And they want that progression for themselves. And it it maybe feels sweeter to see someone stomp a jump for the first time than it feels to see them do something they're an expert at and improve this minute amount because those yeah. first strides that you take are so huge. Dude, for sure. I, as you were talking, I was just thinking about there might even be a pretty fitting metaphor in there that I, I had not thought of when I was watching the episode just thought of now but you know it's pretty great too to see cyrus like you know wipe out on the in run like doesn't make it to the jump and it's like as we're talking about getting out of our comfort zone and maybe starting to pay more attention to where at a community level as a societal level we can try to progress things move things Guess what? Like sometimes we might wipe out before we even get to the jump. Mistakes are welcome. They are inevitable, right? Um and uh and and plus just the relatability of all that. And so when you said Cody said it was like the best backcountry booter session he ever saw, uh certainly I would add from just the relatability of it. It's wonderful, you know? And and uh, for all the reasons you already, you know, said real well, um, I, I just kind of love that too, where we get to see somebody, you know, they, they kind of wipe out before they get to the jump and that's cool. We're, we're running it back and trying it again. And, and, uh, so yeah, uh, room for me, that's the metaphor for me. I think like get out there, let's start pushing ourselves a bit more. We might say the wrong thing. We might mess something up. Um, it, we, we're not going to be perfect as we move out of that known the, you know, and we move into the unknown, but like, let's go. When did that ever scare us before? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, <laughs> there's kind of this joke that I've been repeating this season, which is like, we like to say a lot in skiing, like, no, before you go. But there's also an aspect in the outdoors that is like, you don't know until you go. And yeah. like that, I think was the magic for like Cyrus on that day, who's like a pretty good park snowboarder. He's a really good skateboarder and just a backcountry booter and powder and all this stuff was totally new to him. New. And like, yeah. he's capable, yeah. but he yeah. just didn't know yet what was in store with that experience. And that's mm -hmm. so relatable in so many aspects. And that's why these sports exist is to teach us that about ourselves and about our progress and, and our, our learning capabilities as, as human beings. My favorite quote from the episode, we've already touched on this, but just to underscore it, uh, 
you do such a good job that it is such a tight eight minutes. I mean, and that's one of the things I really love about it. Um, but going back to what we've been saying here and you lay out so well in the film, skiing, its roots, the rest, the progression of these things, it is about, you know, getting radical. And you, you say, one version of radical is celebrated and the other is criticized. And I thought that line right there, if the best thing that can happen from this series and certainly episode one is it starts challenging us to think through our everyday and the everyday lives that you already spoke to here of the people in our community, what can we be doing to make things better for others? How do we do that? What does that look like? And um, yeah, to, to broaden this idea of the radical life, it's not just what we're doing in the backcountry or while the chairlifts are spinning from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. What are you doing outside of that? You know, and for each of us to think through that and to get involved and ask those questions maybe with our friends and in the local communities. I think that's what that's what you are challenging us with here. And that that seems um, exactly like the right thing. It is the way to push this sport either in some ways get it back to its roots or just continue to push it out of a kind of sleepy conservatism that we may be guilty of having entered. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that a lot and, and, you know, sometimes the criticism of what people say gets repeated so much that there's no space left for anyone to listen to what was actually said. Right. And I think today's an important day to say that. Right. Martin Luther King was someone who at his time, uh, the news and politicians were highly critical of him in every aspect. Right. And, and someone that we quote a lot in this series who's featured in episode one that in our archival footage uh, is Fred Hampton. And Fred yeah. Hampton was a young leader in the Black Panther Party, which still is is a group that historically is not necessarily viewed in a favorable light. But if you look back and you listen to Fred Hampton and what he had to say, he was very much about taking care of community. And the Black Panthers at that time, much like the American Indian movement at that time, and they, they worked together, and they also worked together with groups of, of working class white folks. And their goal uh, in a lot of communities was like, oh, we want to provide free breakfast because the schools are only providing free lunch. So you hear them talking about just feeding people of any background, yeah. whatever, like that's something we can all agree with, right? Like every little kid who's going to school, they deserve breakfast. I think we can all get on that, that same page, right? Um, and, and that level of caring for one another. And then when I think about our sport, there is a way that especially in the backcountry ethic that exists, right? That if you were in the backcountry and you saw a slide happen, you are yep. obligated and you would probably risk your own life, right? To go out there and pull your beacon out and start searching and start digging. You were maybe set up to go have the best powder day of your life and someone else made a choice, skied some terrain you wouldn't have. And now all of a sudden you're out there searching for someone, having a rough time instead of having the best day of your life. But almost all of us would choose to do that, right? 
or, or even if you don't ride backcountry, just the stoke at the ski hill on a powder day where just everyone can just high five one another, hoot and holler for some guy as you're riding up the lift. There's some guy getting totally pitted, right? He's just face shots. And you look up the next way and there's some lady and she just hit this cliff drop. And you are just hooting and hollering because you know, like, I'm happy for that person. We are in a place where just good things are happening and we're excited for one another. And then how much do we take that feeling for those same people off of the ski hill? Do we root for them to win in these other aspects of life the way we root for them to win on a powder day? The way that we would put ourselves on the line for them in the backcountry? Are we applying the ethics that we have when we're our best selves every day? And I think that's really like one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves and one of the reflections that like if skiing makes you the best version of yourself, then how do you allow skiing and that version of yourself that's been reflected to you through the mountain to to carry forward into the rest of your life? And I think for me, like I've found that I feel so much better if after my powder day, I, I carry that stoke with me through traffic or down to the grocery store, or to APRE, or, or whatever. And, and so I think the question then becomes like, if you fill your cup in the mountains, how far out into your life will you allow that to cascade? Tell me about this series. Uh, what do you want us to know? What do you want to still keep as a surprise? Can you tell us about what the episode rollout is going to look like? What should we know? Yeah. Um, you know, this series is we're in season one right now as far as the releases, uh, but we're already filming uh, for season two. Um, it's starting to pick up some 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 backing from from sponsors. I guess one thing that I would uh, shout out is that if you watch episode one, uh, you're not going to see a lot of other ski media this day these days where there is not a there's not a single logo that pops up in episode one of the new radical. Um, and that is because, uh, we funded this entirely ourselves, uh, myself and Isaiah Branch Boyle. Um, and in a lot of ways that meant like not necessarily monetarily funding it so much as like giving our time, uh, giving our life, giving of ourselves to make this project happen. Um, and, and so that's something that I'm really excited about. And then on the flip side of that, like, uh, you know, it, it's something that we're, we're still open to, to having more backing. If there's folks who want to be a part of it, um, if there's people just watching who are like, how do I get involved in the, in the notes, uh, the caption, whatever you call it on YouTube, I'm brand new to YouTube, by the way, this is hmm. my, my first, uh, segue into, into YouTubing myself, but, uh, in, in the listed there in the caption for the show, uh, is a link where people can go and they can donate uh, the ski day that happens for the Ute tribe, for the Southern mm. Ute and the Ute Mountain Ute tribe to go ski at, at Telluride. So if you want to make more of this happen for little kids, it's right there. Mm. And then the rest of the season, uh, we have three more episodes in season one, which will give us a total of four episodes. And yeah, we are kind of focused on on a lot of the same things in this this first season, uh, episode two is kind of about the power of, of owning our narratives, right? A and not just mm -hmm. giving our narratives over to media and to marketing and to commercialization, but saying maybe the most powerful thing uh, about our stories is the way that it brings us together. 
And, and if you want to be a part of in the sport, people coming together, uh, you believe in the ethics of the backcountry, you believe in the power of community, then like you'll, you'll probably be rewarded for that, uh, in your own way if you're a marketer. But we think that that's more cool, um, than just being marketed to. I, I, I think in my generation for millennials and I think Gen Z feels some of the same way, uh, there's kind of nothing lamer than being a person who is very susceptible to marketing. Like if you just buy the most plain stuff from the most boring Super Bowl commercial, ordinary way of being marketed to, like, man, that's so basic. Like who buys into that? Like let's buy stuff from the companies who invest uh, in our communities, who invest in our, in our future. Let's buy from folks who are making strides in sustainability, right? Like I, I ski for, for, for Patagonia, who's leading that way uh, of cutting the PFAS and the PFCs out of outerwear. Pretty soon that's going to be a standard thing. Like that's cool. Let's reward that kind of stuff. And then uh, our final two episodes of the season are really focused on, on community and the youth. Um, for me, that was a high priority in, in season one of this because, uh, for most Native American kids, like they've never had the opportunity to see themselves in any form of ski media. And so while the creative control of this series lays squarely in my hands in season one before we have any outside input uh that was the 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 community that i want to make sure is represented first Mm. because i grew up and got up to where i'm at uh with no representation ahead of me there was no person for me to look up to who who came from my background who came from my culture and got into skiing And, and when i watched ski media there was nobody who i could relate to in that way and so for a long time i wondered is there a place for me? And so mm-hmm. with this first season, I just wanted to straight up put as many native folks as I could on screen and say, this is your place. Even if you're uh, just a kid learning how to ski, like you belong in ski media and focusing on, on, on the programs and the brands that have helped support us to launch a scholarship program um, and, and to get native community out into the mountains because uh all skiing happens on land that that we as native american people have lived on uh since time immemorial and so we just we want to still be here and more than anything i think it is a radical act for us as native people to just enjoy uh being on the land we weren't supposed to be on the land at all that was the the object of manifest destiny and the aim of the mm-hmm. the military of this country for a long time was for us to not exist. So for us to just simply be outside and enjoy that, I think that's a really powerful thing. And um, we've had a lot of help from Icon Pass and from Winter Park mm-hmm. to help make that happen. And so our final episode is really focused on on the, our community that we're building in Winter Park and, and the scholarship programs. That, that we're putting together to help native folks, you know, afford their pass, afford their gear and get out here and experience ski. I want to let you get going, man. I appreciate the time, but say just a bit more when you said, you know, people can donate, say a bit more specifically, is that, that any donations made would be going toward this one program or there are a couple of things or, because I, I, I think there will be a lot of people hear you talk about this and say, I do want to help. I want to pitch in. What can I do? And so can you just say a little bit more about if somebody is interested um, and they want to donate, 
say a bit more just so they, they, they know what they would be donating to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just want to start off by saying that that pretty much epi- every episode that we do is going to have some uh, call to action tied to it. Okay. Um, and that's a big part of like what we want to do, whether that's raising funds or raising awareness or, or just yeah. connecting people. That's really the object of the series. Um, and so with episode one, the link that is in the caption for the episode um, goes to the Telluride Institute alongside of the Ute Mountain Ute and the Southern Ute Tribe, they put on outdoor programming for Ute youth. Um, And if you don't know, the Ute Tribe is the folks who are indigenous to uh, Western Colorado and Eastern Utah in particular, uh, to just kind of roughly lay out where where they're from. They're mountain people, just like us. And so these kids deserve the experience. They get to experience the outdoors. Mm -hmm. So those programs are, are run um, through the Telluride Institute and, and with the help of the tribal recreation departments of the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe and the Southern Ute Tribe. And so it goes straight to their, uh, straight to their programming to, to get mm. those kids outdoors. It, it literally mm. you know, goes to close personal friends of mine uh, who are mm. overseeing it. Regina and Kaya White Skunk um, are two mm. amazing women who run that programming on the side of the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe. And on the other side, uh, for the Southern Ute Tribe, Bird Red, uh, who appeared in Spirit of the Peaks, appears in this first episode. He is one of their tribal rec coordinators now. Um, And that's what he does is make sure that his kids, the next generation, have even better access uh, than he did. So, yeah, it will go to their programming. They have a ski day at Telluride um, where they get to go stay up there at Telluride. Um, and go out skiing. And then in the summertime, they have other programming where the kids get to go. Uh, they go up to a backcountry hut and they get to go climbing and they get to go learn about the traditional plants um, uh, of what's in the mountains. Because uh, when these tribes were given their reservations, they were given the land underneath the mountains that weren't as beautiful and as favorable as the mountains. So that places like Telluride, which are full of you know, billionaires um, and, and rich folks and a handful of ski bums still so that those places wouldn't be full of Native Americans, to, to be quite frank. Um, we weren't a desirable crowd to have in a ski town for a long time, you know, and I think uh, we're kept out still by those economic forces of Native American people can't afford to live in Telluride, you know, and over in Aspen, Aspen used to be called Ute City and, and you know, there's not a lot of Utes left living there now. And so, yeah, if you want to be a part of reversing that tide and putting mm-hmm. Native people back on the slopes, you know, go to that link uh, there in in episode one. Um, and then episode three and four are also going to include links to other organizations. If you can't support today, uh, episode three will let you support the kids in Taos getting out to ski. And episode four will... Uh, let you support bringing our kids from Denver up to ski in Winter Park. Hmm. Dude, I love it, man. I just really appreciate you and what you've been up to. I, I remember saying Cody and I were doing a reviewing the news episode. And I remember just saying like, man, you have your thing going, you know, you, I don't, I don't know that like, I think probably there'd be some days where you're like, I'd love to not have to be the one out here rabble rousing and the rest and just kind of live in your own life quietly out in the mountains and the, and the like. And so 
I see that and I know the the weight, the burden, the responsibility you feel. And I appreciate very much you continue to do something, to act on that sense of responsibility. I see that. And uh, I I just have to think, like, I know that can't be easy day in and day out. And I just really admire that you do continue to be a voice and make a series like the one that you've just kicked off. And you speak so well to these things and why it matters so much. And I, yeah, so I just want to end this by saying I really, really respect and admire what you're up to and your ability to, I think, truly galvanize our snow sports community to be better. It's really pretty invaluable, man. And so thank you very much. And congrats on episode one. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Yeah, I appreciate that. And there's times when it's a it's a little bit tougher. You know, I think there's a lot of things I have to do, am obligated to do, and sometimes have the privilege to do that that other skiers, uh, other professional skiers in particular, don't. Um, but I hope that what I'm able to do at the end of the day, at the end of my career, um, will speak to what I spoke to earlier. That th- those sacrifices that we make. Uh, on a greater level for, for more than just ourselves, you know, pay off. And so I might get less powder days than a lot of other skiers, um, than a lot of other pro skiers in particular. But I guarantee you that, you know, over the last few seasons, I've had way more experiences than them of being out with a kid on their first powder day. And boy, like you can have your own powder day a million times, but someone only has their first powder day one time and the contagiousness of that smile and what that does for your heart uh i think is is bigger you know than just what a powder day does for you and so yeah i hope at the end of the day it all it all adds up and and that there are native folks who just get to chill and ski and enjoy it for themselves the way that i sometimes don't get to uh by the time that i'm done doing this and i i hope that our mountain towns are, are better for, for native people, for, for black people, for queer people, for every kind of person that's out there by the time that we're done and that, that we all get to have this, uh, this paradise in the mountains that we, that we get to share with one another. Um, and I think we'll all get there together uh, the more we keep in mind that mentality of how good it feels to share something uh, as opposed to how good it is just to have something to yourself. On the very outside chance that someone has listened to this whole conversation, has yet to watch episode one, where should they go? What should they subscribe to so they're getting notifications on the next episode drop? Where should people go? Yeah, absolutely. So people can go to YouTube and follow my new channel. It's called Sacred Stoke, which is the same as my Instagram. Uh, You can follow me on Instagram as well if you don't do so already. And if you subscribe to that channel, you'll get an update. Uh, every time we drop a new episode, they'll be coming out monthly for the rest of the season, uh, the new Radical. Connor, as always, thank you, sir. And uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, Wopi Latonka, a big Lakota thank you for uh, having me on today, Jonathan. Always, man. Always. Till the next time. Doksha. Well, that's it for this edition of Blister Cinematic. I want to say thanks to Connor, as always, for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks so much to you for listening. 
If you are enjoying these Blister Cinematic Conversations, then we would really appreciate it if you would let us know by leaving a brief rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and that will help us keep this whole thing going and growing. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you again real soon.